This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. I'm battling the clock tonight, so it's straight to the action as we begin with Escape and the 1954 episode entitled The Birds. Tired of the everyday grind? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape. Escape. Designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are in a farmhouse on the southern coast of England. The autumn countryside around you desolate and bleak. And you know that in the dusk outside, waiting patiently for you, silently watching for you, is an enemy from whom there may be no escape. Listen now as Escape brings you Daphne du Maurier's story, The Bird. Sort of rhythm in their movement. They don't really go anywhere. 
doesn't seem to be any purpose to it. No. What if there is, we don't see it. They're restlessness. And they're more restless this year than usual, seems to me. Do you know this morning two girls flew so close they knocked off my cap? You said yesterday when the school bus let her off, there was quite a few of them overhead as if they'd been following. Oh, well, I suppose it means a hard winter. They always seem to know. Perhaps a message comes to them in autumn. A warning. About winter? And about death? No. Many of them will die, and I think they know it. Perhaps they feel they have to... Fill their motion out before they die. Like people who know their time is up and run about stupidly driving themselves. You wouldn't talk like that, Nat. That, that black side of you that stirred up the trouble between us before. Oh, I'm sorry, Debbie. But it, it's come over me lately as I've watched them. The land birds mingling with the sea birds in a sort of strange, unnatural partnership. Land and sea. And life and death. That night it turned colder, yet the wind strengthened. Around two in the morning, the sound of it beating against the house woke me up. I lay there with this slow, even breathing of Debbie beside me. And I thought of Jill and Johnny in the room across the hall. We seemed safe. Secure. And then I heard it. A tapping on the window. First I thought it was a loose shutter, and then I realized it wasn't. I got out of bed, went to the window. Opened it. Suddenly, something brushed against my hand and jacked my knuckles and then was gone over the roof and behind the cottage. Yes. What? Uh, it's all right, Debbie. It was a bird. I don't know what kind. Bird? Hmm. Wind must have driven it against the window, so my hands wet. Uh, it's blood. A beggar drew blood. The sleep, Nat. Uh, must have been frightened and stabbed at me in the dark. Well, for the... Nat, the window seat you are flapping. I've already seen to it. It's some bird trying to get in. Send them away. I can't sleep with that noise. All right. dozen this time. They went for me. They tried to peck my eyes. Oh, yes. I'm not making it up there. Oh, huh? It's Jill. Go see what's the matter. Right. Oh, Coming, Jill. <laughs> Where's Johnny? Uh, I'm just going to get it. What's the matter? Quick, get the children out of here. Oh, I could hear the thud of bodies, but they kept coming at me. They're jabbing my hands, my head. 
trying for my eyes with beaks as sharp as pointed forks. Now I wrap the blanket around my head, beat about with my bare hands, blindly. I don't know how long I fought them. Finally, the beating of wings lessened, and then I still. I unwrapped the blanket from my face. The cold gray dawn had seeped into the room. The floor was littered with the tiny corpses, the birds, robins, finches, sparrows, larks. Some had lost feathers in the fight, the others had blood, my blood on their beaks. Second, I went to the window. The fierce sea broke harshly in the day. But there was not a bird in sight. Not a sparrow chattered in the hedge, no early thrush or blackbird pecked on the grass for worms. There was no sound at all but the east wind and the sea. Matt? Uh, I'm all right, Debbie. Oh, I didn't know, but... You're covered with blood. Some of it's the birds. Look on the floor. Oh. There's so many of them. Yeah. Fifty. I counted them. Horrible. Come on, Danny. I'll clean the room later when I have more stomach for it. This has been gassed before. Are the children all right? Yes, I... Put Jill to work making tea. Johnny's in our bed just now asleep. Not why. The birds? Well, it must be the weather. The sudden change confused them. It has to be that. The food's ready, Mum. Oh, good. Did you drive away the birds? Yes, they're all gone now, Jill. I hope they won't come again. Perhaps if we put breadcrumbs for them outside the window, they'll eat that and fly away. Yes, I've already had breakfast. I'd better hurry or I'll be late for the school bus. But, uh, oh, uh, I'll walk with you to the road, Joe. Yes, I think that'd be a good idea. I'll go get my coat and book. I didn't want her to walk alone. Matt, they... They wouldn't come back again. Well, I... I'll go over to the farm and find out if they heard anything during the night. You keep all the windows and doors closed, Debbie, just to be on the safe side, hmm? This morning, uh, <clears throat> fact is, we had um, trouble in the night. Oh, Kitty, poorly. No, no, not exactly. No, we we uh, had some trouble with birds. I, uh, why it sounds absurd, but they flew in the window and attacked us. Attacked? Yes. Now, Mister Harkin, no, I'm not <laughs> making it up, Missus Trigg. There are fifty dead birds on the floor of the children's bedroom. Mm, foreign birds. No. No, the kind you see about here every day. Really? Well, you ought to write up and ask the man who's the guardian. They have an officer, Harry. Hey, morning, Hawkins. Uh, Mr. Hawkins has been telling about some birds last night. Oh. He says they attacked him. Attack? Mm. Are you sure? Quite. Huh. Never heard of a thing like that before. Hungry, maybe. Looking for food. Mm. You, you put out some crumbs. Yes, of course. 
I'll be up tomorrow as usual. Good morning. Ordinary birds, he says. Attacked him. Now, what did you take us for, coming around with a story like that? He's a strange one, he is, with those superior airs. You see the look he gave us when we didn't swallow his story? Attacked him. I think he reads too many of those books. <laughs> Anything at the time? No. The trick's brilliant advice is to put out some crumbs. Debbie, I looked all around this morning. There's not a single bird in sight outdoors. Where's they've gone? I don't know. And the trigs had no trouble last night. Not only that, they clearly thought I was imagining it. Oh, I heard Trig mutter something about my superior airs and reading too many books as I walked away. Nothing's real to those clubs until it hits them over the head. Well, they're nice enough. Minute. Just that they're isolated up here. Well, that certainly is a polite word for it. I haven't been able to face going into the children's room. The birds. Oh, yes, I'll go and clean it up. I suppose the least I can do is give the little beggars a decent burial. I dropped the dead birds into a sack that went on to the speech to bury them. The wind was bitter cold. I dug a pit in the sand with my heel and started to empty the sack into it, but the wind caught the birds and whirled them along the shore. There was something ugly in the sight, but the tide would take them when it turned. I looked out at the crested breakers, and I saw them. A skull. Out there, riding the seas. Thousands. Tens of thousands. They rose and fell in the trough of the sea like a mighty fleet at anchor, waiting for the turn of the tide. Waiting. They stretched as far as my eye could reach. They covered the sea. I started up the steep path home, almost running. Someone should know us that someone should be told. But who? And then as I opened the front door, I saw Watch. Debbie beside the wireless listening. Damage and even attacking individuals. It is thought that the Arctic airstream is causing the birds to migrate south in immense numbers. And that intense hunger may drive them to attack human beings. Our soldiers are warned to see to their windows, doors, and chimneys, and to take all precautions for the safety of their children. Further bulletins will be issued later. They've been repeating it every few minutes since you left. Well... Perhaps now those empty-headed idiots at the farm will know that I was... You sound almost dead. Oh, don't talk rot, Debbie. It's just that when people with half a brain try to tell me that... Can't you forget that superior attitude of yours even now? Don't use that word superior to me. I'm sick of it. So am I, Nat. So am I. You... Oh, I... I'm sorry, dear. This thing has made me a little nervy, I guess. Yes, I... I'm sorry too much. Nat... One of the bulletins said the birds seemed to be waiting. For what? I don't know. They said the birds are hungry. What are you doing? There's a hammer. I'm going to get some boards and see to the doors and windows as they tell you to. 
think they could break in with the windows shut, the sparrows and robins and such? How could they? I wasn't thinking about the smaller birds. I was thinking about the gulls. The gulls? Debbie, have you ever been close enough to get a good look at a gull's beak? There must be a hundred thousand of them out there, riding the sea, waiting. upstairs, boarding the bedroom windows. And I wondered whether they'd take these precautions up at the farm. I doubted it. It's probably a big joke to the trig. But according to the wireless, it was no joke. At first, some of the bulletins had been light in tone, but as the morning wore on, the concern in the announcer's voice became more and more apparent. Well, after I finished upstairs, I took the rest of the lumber down, boarded up the lower floor windows. What they ought to do is call the army out and shoot the birds. That would soon scare them off. Betty, uh, uh, how are we off for food? Ah, uh, Nat, whatever next. Uh, never mind. What have you got in the larder? That'll wait tomorrow, you know that. I don't keep uncooked food hanging about. It goes off. But I can put some things in tomorrow. Tomorrow? It's only three in the afternoon and it's almost dark. Oh, yes. Sky. Looks so heavy. Now, what's the matter? You've gone quite white. Look. The tide's turned. The gulls. They've risen. Circling over the sea. Not a sound from them. Matt. I'm going for Jill. I'll wait for her at the bus stop. You keep Johnny inside and keep the door shut. I looked for a weapon, for the hoe was all I could find, and I went to the top of the hill and waited. The surf was booming below, and a smudge rose behind the clay hills in the distance. It widened, divided, and spread north, east, south, west. It was a vast cloud of birds, passed close by, heading inland, upcountry. They had no business with the people here on the peninsula. Rooks, crows, jackdaws, magpies, birds that usually preyed upon the smaller species. But this afternoon they were bound on some other mission. They've been given the towns, I thought. They know what they have to do. We don't matter so much here. The gulls will serve for us. The others go to the towns. Finally, the last came. When Jill got up, I took her by the hand. Oh, I just brought it along. Come along now, darling. Let's go home. It's cold. No hanging about. Huh? I want to play a bit in the rain. Uh, not tonight. Now, come on. No door. Look, Daddy. Look over there. Look at the girl. The fly in from the sea. She's so quiet. Yes, but uh, do hurry, darling. Where's it flying to? Oh, up country, I dare say, where, where it's warmer. It don't go so fast. I can't keep up. Hurry. The girl, it, it's circling. It looks like you're waiting for something. Yeah, for a signal, an order. 
Huh? Nothing. Come on, dear. Faster. But I can't go faster. Uh, wait, wait. There's Trig in his two-seater. Uh, looks as though we're in for some fun, Hawkins. Have you heard the news? Everyone's gone bird crazy, talking of nothing else. I'm going to take a crack at him with my gun. Uh, could you run Jill home first? Oh, yes, of course. Not room for you, too, I'm afraid. Oh, that's all right. Just get Jill home. Get in, Julia. You like to come shooting with me? No, thanks. Have you boarded your windows? No. A lot of nonsense. They like to scare you on the wireless. I'd board them if I were you. Oh, go on. You're windy. Well, see you in the morning. I'll give you a skull breakfast. I watched Trig drive Jill toward the cottage. And then I followed on foot. made me look up. The gulls were approaching. The order had been given, and the farm was their target. The black-backed gulls were leading, and they were bigger birds. Damn it. Turn. And suddenly one of them threw that miss. Miss. Rose to dive again, and then came the other. Six, seven, six, dozen. I dropped the hole, covered my head with my arms, and ran towards the cottage. They kept coming at us in the air with beating wings. Each stab of a swooping beak tore my flesh. I had to keep them from my eyes. With each time they became bolder, and they had no force for themselves. When they missed, they crashed, bruised and broken on the ground. And as I ran, I come kicking their spent bodies in front of me. Now the aims are better. Closer to my eyes, closer. And then I reached the door of the cottage. Let me in! Let me in! And then, above me, I saw the gannet, poised against the sky for his dive. The gulls drew back, only the huge gannet. The wings folded suddenly to its body, and it swept like a stone at me. The door opened and I swung myself in. What was that? A janet. It has put my skull. Better now? Yes, thanks. You're, you're quite the wounder. Are the children? In the other room, I didn't want them to see that far. No. Your hands are the worst. I'll be all right. We'd uh, better all sleep here in the kitchen tonight. I'll bring down the mattress. All right. I'll pick something tasty for supper and we can prepare. Oh, wait. It's sound. What is it? A bird. Crowding against the outside of the house. Trying to find a way in. Yes. Don't. They, they can't get in. I tell you, they cannot get in. The boards will hold. For how long? How long? Yeah. I'll turn on the wire. Turn them out. There. There, better. Yes. Anything so I can't hear the phone either. It's only the food that worries me, Debbie. Now, I've noticed that the birds come in with the tide, but the tide will go out about nine tonight, and we should have a lull of about six hours. I could slip out during that time and go to the farm. See if they can give us something. Measures are being taken to safeguard the lives and property of the population, but it must be understood that these are not easy to affect immediately, due to the unforeseen and unparalleled nature of the present crisis. It is absolutely imperative that everyone remain indoors until further notice. The birds, in vast numbers, are attacking everything in sight. The population is asked to remain calm. 
Like this all over again. All over. Daddy. Go back, Papa. Let's let's forget it. Let's all just try to get some sleep. Kept dropping down the chimney. I raked them to one side, but more came. I threw on the rest of the oil. We piled papers on it, kindling anything. The flames roared higher. More bodies. The stench was unbearable. I kept at it. Finally, they gave up. And I went over to the basement. I was sick. Around nine in the morning, a rustling ceased. I opened the door a crack. Crushed birds were deep about the house, but there was not a living bird in sight. The tide had gone out. Now was my chance to get food and fuel. I ran all the way to the farm. There was no smoke from the chimney. I came around the corner of the house and stopped in the doorway. Almost covered with dead birds were Mr. and Mrs. Trigg. What was left of them? Beside him was his gun. Beside her, a broken umbrella. I loaded the two-seater with all the food I could find, enough for perhaps three days, and drove back to the cottage. I told Debbie the Triggs didn't need their car for a while and had told me to take it. She said nothing. And toward nightfall, the birds came back again. We sat by the fire and listened to the rustle as they crowded against the house. But this time there was a new sound. They brought up their heavier forces against us, the birds with larger beaks. I could hear the sound of tiny bits of wood being torn away. Oh, so the tide turn. Then they'll leave. Then they'll come back again. They'll keep coming back. Matt. Yes? The pigs. They're dead, aren't they? Yes. They're all alone. I keep closer to you than than I've ever. That it should take something like this to bring us. 
Debbie, you, you may be interested to know that right now, I do not feel very superior. Don't nap. I don't know, Debbie. I do not know. I listened to the sound of the splintering wood, and I wondered how many million years of memory were stored in those little brains behind the stabbing beaks, the piercing eyes, now giving them this instinct to destroy mankind with all the depth precision of machines. I switched on the wireless. was dead. I reached for the cigarette. There was only one left in the packet. I lit it. I threw the empty packet on the fire and watched it burn. Under the direction of Norman MacDonald, Escape has brought you The Bird by Daphne du Maurier, specially adapted for radio by Robert Wright, starring Ben Wright with Virginia Gregg. Featured in the cast were John Daner, Ann Morrison, Ann Whitfield, and John Dodsworth. Your announcer, George Walsh. The special music for Escape is composed and conducted by Leith Stevens. Stay tuned for Duffy's Tavern next on Theater of the Mind. It's 1945 and time now for bartender Archie to serve up the drinks to John Garfield at Duffy's Tavern. We take you now to Duffy's Tavern. Duffy's Tavern, where the elite meets eat, Archie, the manager speaking. Duffy ain't here. Oh, hello, Duffy. Tonight? Well, uh, tell me, who is your favorite movie tough guy? Well, next to William S. Hart. <laughs> now, now, the guy uh, uh, coming tonight is John Garfield. Yeah, Warner Brothers paroled him for tonight. <laughs> well, I got an idea from Duffy. Well, you see, our competitor, uh, Grogan's Bar across the street, has been taking away a lot of our business on account of he's got a floor show there with a lot of chorus girls. Well, what have we got to equal 12 dames? Your fat wife, huh? <laughs> I don't know, Duffy. Somehow or other, 12 dames is more attractive separate than when they're lumped together. <laughs> well, anyways, my idea is to start a repertory company, see? Repertory. Where the show changes every week and the cast rotates. <laughs> no, not like Grogan's dame. No, oh, this, uh, this will be real legitimate theater. Uh, well, we ought to do a terrific business. Uh, Eddie's been out all day passing out circulars and... Huh? What play are we going to start off with? Uh, yes. No, not Oklahoma. No, not the voice of the title. No, not Life with Father. It's a play that I wrote. Now, look, operator, you mind your own business. 
Mr. Critic. I'll call you back, Duffy. So come in and meet Finnegan, Eddie the waiter, Miss Duffy, Sir Heathcliff Batterswick, Matty Malnick and his orchestra, our special guest tonight, John Garfield, and Archie himself, Ed Gardner. Mr. Archer. Wait a minute. You back already, Eddie? What did you do? Throw them circulars down the sewer? Only the ones we got customers working in. <laughs> well, uh, did you leave a batch down at Chimmelbacher's Bakery? Yes, sir. And they promised to put a circular in every box. What in every box? Hey, that's a nice thing for that bakery to do. Yeah. Mr. Cavendish, the undertaker, offered us the same deal. <laughs> Oh, that's well, good old Cavendish, although I doubt any of his customers would be interested in my play. I don't know. They seem to act just like your usual audience. <laughs> By the way, did you see that big sign Groban's Bar put up? Uh, what did it say? Tonight, new burlesque policy. Opening of soon season. Teachers Latour, guests of honor will throw out the first bump. <laughs> And, uh, boys, the crowd flocking in. Well, wait until my repertory company opens. I'll prove to Mr. Grogan that a floor show can rake it in without having to take it off. Well, that burlesque is pretty popular. Oh, I don't know. Do I remember? I found my first burlesque show pretty dull. They ain't changed my opinion after 15 years of steadily watching them. So leave Grogan do what he wants. How he runs his business don't interest me. Uh, hi, Art. Huh? I've just been over spying on Grogan's like he told me. Oh, yeah, huh, yeah. Finnegan? Uh, <laughs> well, uh, was there much of a crowd over there? I couldn't see. There was too many people in the way. <laughs> well, never mind the crowd, uh... Tell me, how was the show? Oh, pretty good, Art. But it didn't have enough variety. What do you mean? Uh, well, they had five striptease acts. There was five striptease acts, and every one of them was a dame. Well, that's probably on account of the manpower shortage. Uh, uh, how about the uh, the costumes, the dame's costumes? Was they any good? Uh, it was nothing to them. <laughs> Oh, I felt so sorry for them poor girls. I was, I was one of them. One of them was so cold, she just stood there in the middle of the floor and shivered all over. Well, I think it's a horrible thing. It's a disgrace. The whole show ought to be pinched. Some of the customers were sure trying, huh? Well, wait till our repertory company opens. Mr. Grogan is going to discover that the public values quality above nudity. Find out, uh, find out that we have a better mousetrap right here in Duffy's Tavern. Hello, Archie, my sweet. My sweet? Why so confectionery, Miss Duffy? Oh, nothing. Uh, say, Archie, can you use an actress in your repertory company? An actress? Who? Me. Mm, uh, let me look at you. Turn around. Uh-huh. Now, let's see your profile. Uh-huh. Now, walk a few steps. Yeah, I guess in a pinch you could play a dame. Eh, <laughs> uh, wait, wait, by the way, what's with you? Today you want to be an actress. Last week you wanted to get married. Uh, what happened to the amour? Was yours? 
Archie, if you were referring to my affair with Harold Harkle Road, it's all over. It's finny. Poop. Poop, huh? Yes. It's simply another case of love's flame dying down and leaving just an ember. An ember, huh? You know, with you, it seems to be forever ember. <laughs> What happened? Uh, you was crazy about the guy. Oh, I don't know. Little personality traits that has got on my nerves. Little personality traits, huh? Yeah. Somehow I just can't see myself going through life with a man who keeps refusing to marry me. <laughs> Little personality traits. Sure, well, that ain't unreasonable, but I thought Harold wanted to marry you. So did I, and so did Papa, and so did Mama. That dopey Harold, he had to be different. <laughs> Oh, so you're back in circulation again, huh? Maybe, uh, maybe you're being a little too choosy. That's not true. I ask for very little. All I want is a man who'll look up to me and think I'm attractive. Well, I'll see if I can find your crazy midget. <laughs> now, look, Miss Duffy, if you'll excuse me, I gotta get me play ready. Now, John Garfield will be here soon. <gasps> John Jonathan. Garfield? Is he coming here tonight? Yeah. Oh! Oh, uh, well, I'll, uh, see you later. Yeah. She's gonna get her play ready. <laughs> Brother, what a dame. Hello, Archie. What's up? Oh, hello, Sir Heathcliff. Uh, well, I'm putting on a play tonight. A play? Hmm. As the man said when he saw the three oil gushers, well, well, well. <laughs> Archie, may I put my dramatic talent at your disposal? Thank you. I'll be glad to dispose of it. <laughs> In other words, uh, Heathcliff, I cheerfully reject your offer. I can't understand you, Archie. As Betty Grable said to her garter, you should snap at this. <laughs> now look, Heathcliff, there's no part for you tonight. This play of mine is a Mexican play. It takes place in a waterfront dive. A Mexican play? By Jove, I could play a native. You, a native? Yes, with dialect, of course. But, hello, Jose. I say, let's have a blooming tortilla. <laughs> now, uh, look, Mexicali Rose. <clears throat> the answer is no. Very well, if you want to turn down a man who was the greatest Hamlet in history. Alas, poor Yorick. I knew him. Now, please, Heathcliff, not that. Let him go on, Archie. It's a beautiful speech. Alas, poor Yorick, I knew him. You know him, too. There are more New Yorks around here.
Freddy, as soon as this place starts, we'll no doubt have a big crowd. Uh, what have we got to feed them? Uh, all we got left is hash. Hash? Holy cat. Well, not holy cat. There's some beef in it. <laughs> Eddie, that's the kind of stuff that's going to give Duffy's Tavern a bad name. Pardon me, bud. Is this Duffy's Tavern? What does it look like? Like Duffy's Tavern? That's a nasty thing to say. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. It's John Garfield. <laughs> well, welcome, Mr. Garfield. And may I uh, sincerely assure you that it is a great humbrage to distinct to this place with an actor of your ilk and posterity? Holy smoke, this is something i never seen before. What? A guy bumping off a language. <laughs> now, wait a second, Garfield. You have already insulted both me and the joint, and you ain't been here for more than 30 seconds. What's the record? <laughs> I see this man has a biting tongue. If he ain't careful, I'm gonna bite it. <laughs> now, look, John, uh, leave us have a little more noblesse oblige. Uh, after all, this place ain't no ordinary dump. Well, I can see it ain't no ordinary dump. That's right. It's the first one I've ever seen where the rubbish gets up and walks around. John, they're my customers. <laughs> and, uh, incidentally, among them is a lot of guys in your own field. Oh, actors? No, convicts. <laughs> We're gonna brandy insults. I can with a scissor or two myself. But, uh, why do we want to fight? But come on, uh, sit ye down and, uh, have a bite to eat. Eat? Yeah. Say, that might be the answer. Now, look. Look, Garfield, you ain't gonna start that stuff again. I'm sorry, Archie. Certainly, we shouldn't start insulting each other. We, we should be friends. After all, you and me are so much alike. Now you're starting it. No, I... I mean it, John. You, you got a lot of my qualities. A lot of the things I got. What? Well, your rugged good looks. Your... your Seven McCare Manor, your sophisticated charm. Well, how about my New York accent? Well, you've got to remember that I was raised careful. <laughs> but aside to that, we're alike as two bricks in a hut. John Garfield! John Garfield! Well, what a pretty speech. And who, pray tell, fair lady, are you? Mm, suddenly he's so polite. This must be John's other Garfield. <laughs> Oh, permit me, Mr. Garfield, this is Miss Duffy. Oh, uh, how do you do? Likewise, I'm sure. Oh, Mr. Garfield, the thrill you've given me. I haven't got a spine that you haven't tingled. <laughs> oh, Mr. Garfield, you're absolutely wonderful. Well, this girl makes sense. Go ahead, sugar. Did you see me in Destination Tokyo? Great, huh? Destination Tokyo? Uh, wasn't Cary Grant in that? Cary Grant? Well, it's hard to remember every guy in a picture. <laughs> Anyways, um, how'd you like me playing a sailor? Oh, you were wonderful. I remember how you stood beside Cary Grant in the submarine. Ah, oh, Cary looked so big and strong and handsome. <laughs> yes, I'll never forget how his beautiful eyelashes quivered when he turned his wonderful profile and he gave you an order. You were wonderful. <laughs> I didn't see the picture myself, but you sound great. Thanks. Oh, this is such a thrill meeting you, Mr. Garfield. It's uh, almost too exciting. The, the blood just rushes to my head. The blood rushes to your head, huh? Yes. What's the attraction? Oh, 
<laughs> You're so cute. Archie, couldn't you just eat him up? No, thanks. I just had a big supper. Uh, <clears throat> Miss Duffy, you better get back to the cash register. The loose change needs tightening. <laughs> that, Archie. Well, I'll uh, see you later, Mr. Garfield, in the play. Play? Archie, what play is she talking about? Well, it seems there's a play we're putting on here tonight. Uh, who wrote it? A uh, certain very brilliant and talented young chap. Mm. Uh, you, huh? You notice the resemblance. <laughs> yes, John, among the other talents, I also number the art of drama surgery. I've heard about your plays. Uh, do you write the way you talk? Even better. <laughs> this latest play is really great. It's Life in the Raw. So, hi, buddy. You're John Garfield. Yeah. I got you, rat. What's your mind? Please, watch your language. Mr. Garfield ain't really a mug. Uh, I know, Arch, I know. I was only kidding. After all, I'm a man of the world. Yeah? Which one? Shut <laughs> up, boy, Johnny. Get me back with you. No fooling. I'd love to be one of them gangster pitches shooting off them machine guns. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. The boy, what? Fun. Oh. Nah, not so much fun. Those machine guns are murder. Even if firing them in pictures is enough, well, it's enough to make you wince. Mr. Garfield, I don't know the meaning of the word wince. Brave guy, huh? Well, I just don't know the meaning of the word. Please, uh... Leave us change the conversation to a subject. <clears throat> Now, John, about this play tonight, uh, this circular here explains everything. Yeah, well, let me see. Tonight, world premiere of Duffy's Repertory Theater. That's theater. Not when it's spelled with a Y. <laughs> Let's see. Tonight's special attraction will be the famous movie actor, Mr. John... Hey, where did you get the effrontery? I copied it off a poster. <laughs> yep, this will be a great break for you, John. Now, look, you barroom Belasco. Just a second. <clears throat> Hello? Hello, Duffy. Uh, well, wait a minute, I'll see. Uh, Eddie, uh, how many customers is here? Uh, let's see, there's one, two, three, uh, uh, three. <laughs> Hello? Sixty-four. <laughs> huh? Okay, we'll start the play right away. Here, John, now here's the play. Look over your part while I round up the rest of the cast. I'll be right back. Now, wait a minute. Now, don't worry. You'll be great. I'll be right with you. Mm, let's see. A drama on the waterfront entitled Fish and Fantasy. That... That jerk. Yeah, I got an idea who you mean, Mr. Garfield, but don't get upset. Well, where does that Archie get his gall? Oh, Mr. Archie ain't bad. He got nerve and brass and gall and, yep. Well, the answer is you're going to act in this play. No, mm, uh, did you read it, Eddie? Uh-huh. How is it? Well, I'll tell you. It's the funny thing about Mr. Archie's play. They look pretty bad at first, but when you get halfway through them, you realize they're worse than you thought. <laughs> Then if you grit your teeth and keep going when you come to the last line, brother, what a grand and glorious feeling. <laughs> How do I get into these things? I think Warner Brothers must have made me stir crazy.
Letty, uh, how's the crowd look? Well, actually, there's only two now. Mr. Callahan's just passed out. <laughs> Hello, Duffy. Huh? Uh, 123 people. <clears throat> Yeah, hey, yeah, fellas, whoop it up a bit like a mob. Okay, huh? Finnegan, hit the register. Yeah, I am. More champagne. Lady Mendel, what is you doing here? Happy New Year. You hear that, Duffy? Great, huh? I told you. Okay, we're starting to play. That's enough, Finnegan. Boy, what a business I was doing. Well, now you've done enough business. You can retire. <clears throat> Okay, now leave us not to play. Trumpets, please. Thank you. Finnegan, will you stop it? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we present Fish and Fantasy, wrote by my esteemed self and starring John Garfield. <laughs> I've seen a shabby waterfront dive in a little town on the coast of Mexico. Here... Fishermen come to sit around drinking their fiery tequila. <laughs> and through the place comes the scent of the trade wind, filling the air with the feeling of mystery, passion, murder, evil, and the constant smell of fish. <laughs> but now, leave us meet our characters. piano player. Fingers, they call me. Once, I was a famous concerto. <laughs> but now, I sit here and play the piano for a few paltry peons a week. <laughs> yes, I just sit here and play and watch men come and go with their foibles and piccadillos and whatever other fish they have caught. <laughs> Sandango, the gorgeous hostess. I'm beautiful with lips like ripe red pomegranates and raven hair and flashing eyes like two black jelly beans. <laughs> Men love me madly. They beg for my love. But I just smile and say, Si, si, senor. I am Pierre, a prosperous Mexican fisherman. I love the girl Fandango. She are the sweetheart of I who love him madly. She know? Hey, Archie. Yeah. This play, she stink. <laughs> stink to the street. <laughs> Hello, fingers. Oh, hiya, Fandango. Match. Catch. Oh, miss. Butter fingers. <laughs> Uh, what's the matter? You, uh, act nervous, Fandango. What's on your mind? I don't know. I'm thinking of America. You know, Fingers, I'm beginning to miss the state. Yeah? Funny. With me, it's the cities. Oh, <laughs> ah, well. When you're a guy like me, you learn to philosophize. Say, Fingers, tell me something. Yeah. You sit there at the piano all day and all night. What do you think about? I often wonder. <laughs> yes, Fandango, there's a comfort in philosophy. Where do you come from, Fingers? Who are you? Please, Fandango, I'd rather you didn't ask that. It's best to bury sleeping dogs. <laughs> Tell me, Fingers, it'll be our secret. Well, sir, <clears throat> once 
I gave concerts all over the world. Vienna. Bucharest. <laughs> Sitting at me Steinway. Dressing me black tie and white tails. <laughs> me nickname in them days was Harvey the Rabbit. <laughs> I remember them places. The places ringing with clapter. Paris. Moscow. Wait. You are not... Yes. I am Laszlo Heltakalovich. You were the great Helter Kalovich? None other. But what happened? Drink, women, gambling, Monte Carlo, the slot machines. <laughs> now, here I am, a member of the Dregs. Was there a, a girl? I'd rather not speak of her. It wasn't meant to be. She, she hurt you. It wasn't her fault. She was royalty. I have pheasant blood. <laughs> yes, her old man made her marry a Majoraja. <laughs> well, that's life, but you got to be a philosopher. Well, we're amigos. Hasta Melanda. <clears throat> she is I, uh, yeah. Oh, hello, yeah. Ah, Fandango, she's you, huh? Come kiss me. No. Montevideo, what's the matter, huh? Here I am, a great fisherman, and this bag on my shoulders, I have a 200-pounder mackerel, a 50-pounder tuna, 60-pounders. Why, you know, want to kiss me? I don't know. There's something about you. <laughs> Sacramento, you turning me down, a man who catch you 400 pounds of fish? That's a whole of a catch. <laughs> Fandango, uh, why don't you marry Pierre here? I hate him. Azusa! You love fingers, huh? I kill him! Look out, fingers! He's got a gun! Semper Fidelis! <laughs> I... <laughs> I got it! If she can't have she, nobody else she have him! Stand back! Missed me. <laughs> but I don't mind. That's philosophy. But this time, this time I get you. He got me. Well, Fandango, I guess... I guess this is curtains for fingers. Look who joined her. Who are you? I am the prefix of police. <laughs> I had a shot here. Fingers, who shot you? I ain't talking. Well, I'll find out who shot you. Let me think. Uh, hey, yo, yo, with that smoking gun in your hand. Yeah. <laughs> What are you trying to do? Start a fire? <laughs> well, I'm going out to check up. I'll be back. <laughs> say, uh, say, fingers. What? Sorry, I have to kill you, kiddo. No hard feelings, Pierre. Just a break. You got to be a philosopher. Wait, fingers. Before you go, there's something I've got to tell you. What? I am her daughter. You? Boyta's daughter? <laughs> you the daughter of the woman I love? Yes. My real name is Mercedes de Monticello Schmohausen. Oh, this is too much. Wait, just a second. Let me look at your arm. Here. Eat good can. De Monticello Schmohausen vaccination. <laughs> So you are Bertha's daughter? Yes. Hmm. 
the daughter of Bertha de Monticello Schmulhausen, meets and loves the great concerto, Laszlo Helpetalovich in Mexico, just as he is dying. Yes. What a small world. Well, heaven to Betsy, I guess you've got to be a philosopher. <laughs> How'd the crowd like it? I don't know. They all went over to Grogan. <laughs> Grogan, huh? Well, what's doing over at Grogan? Oh, they got a crummy burlesque show there, John, with a lot of naked dames. Oh, I'll see you later. Now, wait a minute. A guy like John Garfield can't be seen in a place like that. I guess you're right. Um, Eddie, uh, run over to Grogan's and reserve a table for Pierre the Fisherman. <laughs> Coffee Tavern for this evening. But let's meet here again at the same time next week. And if you have a half hour next Friday uh, evening. Just a second, Mr. Roy. I think I better call Duffy and confess him that this repertory company of mine was a flop. Hello? Hello, Mrs. Duffy. Put Duffy on the phone. You what? He went over to Grogan's. <laughs> oh, that Duffy. This is the Armed Forces Radio Service. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Inner Sanctum, followed by Honest Herald. Thanks to Joel Shonwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.